Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Michael Jauer with us. His website is his name. It's all linked up for you at coasttocoastam.com. One of his books we're talking about is Sensitive Soul. The other is The Spiritual Anatomy of Emotion. Michael, we talked about those who are autistic, those who have synesthesia. What about savants, these incredible people? Yeah, uh, people know about savants, I think, mainly if they've seen the film Rain Man, uh, the character With that Dustin Hoffman played. Yep, yep. yep. That's based on, on a real person. Um, his name was Kim Peek, and he could do amazing, amazing things, such as uh, memorize uh, all the names in a phone book, uh, which is a kind of cool and, and sort of very, very strange thing about, about um, savants, is they can do things that are absolutely incredible and maybe have no purpose. (laughs) What's the value of that? You know, it's an amazing trick. You can can do it at a party. And he had to watch Judge Wapner on Tuesdays. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And people with synesthesia are, um, I'm sorry, people with... um, Savants. uh, Savantism uh, have a lot in common with people that have autism. Uh, And uh, these conditions are related. There's some percentage of people uh, with autism that have savantism, and likewise, we were talking about synesthetes, and um, many synesthetes are somewhere on the autism spectrum. So these conditions are, are, are related. Um, the thing about um, autism is these capacities that people have uh, are, are not learned. Uh, Kim Peek never learned to, to memorize in this way. There are also incredible um, uh, musicians uh, uh, savants who, uh, from from an early age, they can hear a piece of music. It could be like a Brahms symphony or something, and and they'll just know how to play it. And it's not that they've learned to play Brahms, but they can. It's like a human tape recorder. They can they can play it back. Uh, people are amazing sculptors and painters in this way. I heard of one guy who was an amazing um, uh, golfer in the sense that he could. Uh, his sense of, of, of measurement was so precise that he could tee off and basically, you know, hit a spot wow. uh, 300 yards um, with uncanny accuracy. Did that mean, you know, he's a great putter? Well, not, not necessarily, but he could, he could drive the ball. Uh, the thing about savants is, um, in, in a sense, they're not really in control of these capacities. They, they sort of um, uh, arrive in, in their lives, uh, and, and um, they don't, necessarily have a great application, um, and people aren't thoroughly, um, they don't really understand what's going on. They're, they're um, handicapped in a, in a real sense because um, the actual things that most of us do, uh, they're, they're not really able to do. They need people to take care of them, just as, uh, as Dustin Hoffman's character needed the, the Tom Cruise character to, to take care of him because he have, has this amazing capacity, but it's so limited, um, and he's really not able to have real relationships with people and, and do things for himself that the rest of us can. So savantism is, is really a, an impediment uh, as much as it is a, an asset and, a, and a, an amazing trait. Next up, prodigies. So prodigies are like savants in the sense that they have uh, amazing abilities that, you know, they, they at an early age, again, uh, a lot of these conditions, really all of them that we've talked about, um, show up at an early age and they're quite pronounced. Um, prodigies 
are like um, savants that they have these incredible abilities, often artistic, musical, um, and they can take care of themselves. They they are uh, able to to do things that that most of us can do. Uh, they can talk about. They can they can sort of reflect on the abilities. The abilities aren't just there driving them, but they they're in charge of the abilities and they can they can choose how to apply them. Uh, again, the thing that interests me about prodigies is a you know particular angle. It was which is that um, some of them. Uh, probably most, if, if if you look kind of across the spectrum of, of prodigies, most of them uh, feel things quite intensely. Uh, they're they're driven emotionally to do what they do. Um, they they cannot uh, not paint or sculpt or play music. Um, or uh, oftentimes they they succeed uh, brilliantly in the sciences. They're they're, they're driven a hundred percent, and it's sort of a an emotional need that pushes them. Uh, also, some um, some of these folks, some prodigies, um, are so emotionally attuned to other people, they're easily uh, overwhelmed by other people's feelings. They're concerned about um, even some, uh, as a good example, some some prodigies when they were young, they get overwhelmed by watching uh, cartoon violence on a Saturday morning. You know, if if uh, uh, an anvil fell on on uh, Bugs Bunny or one of those characters, you know, they'd be upset for the critter that got, you know, hit by the anvil. So um, they're very concerned about other people's feelings, and they also, some of them, um, report um, anomalous experiences, paranormal experiences, and they, they seem to have this capacity to feel that's greatly developed and that drives them. And again, it's sort of Gets to my uh, my uh, uh, hypothesis that that it's feelings that are core to us and also relate to what we find to be anomalous. Is is it's 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 all about emotions, and um, you know the the anomalous uh, uh, situations that people uh, or occurrences that that people report, whether it's ghosts, whether it's poltergeists, uh, whether it's um, Precognitive dreams, uh, something called telesomatic experiences, which is like uh, ESP, but you feel in your body if something um, violent or unexpected is happening to somebody else who you're close to. It, it seems to relate to emotional ties and to our capacity to feel. And for prodigies uh, and and savants and synesthetes, um, feelings are, are um, um, highly developed capacity. And how about uh, this one? Those who remember past lives, why was that put in the mix? Well, be, that's a great question, and it's largely because people who remember past lives, um, they they identify and feel so uh, close to the life of that person that they're remembering. Um, and also, uh, I believe it's uh, the folks who study this for a living, uh, especially this guy named Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia, who continues research started by his predecessor, Ian Stevenson, over many decades. They um, collected uh, thousands of, of, uh, of, of case studies of, um, again, kids at an early age right. uh, wow. who remember being someone else. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, proof of reincarnation, but it's, it's something's going on there. Uh, and uh, like uh, prodigies, um, Kids feel at an early age um, 
almost driven to determine who this other person was. Um, and there are some amazing uh, accounts of, uh, of children who uh, remembered someone else so keenly that they just had to, to seek out that other family of origin or that other circumstance that they felt connected with. Um, the other thing is that um, Tucker and his associates um, did a study where I believe 70% of uh, the people whose lives were being remembered uh, died in some violent way. Uh, they were confronted by something that, uh, at least according to the memories of the kids, uh, just overwhelmed them. And again, emotionally overwhelming. And so it seems that the reverberations of, of what people feel, especially if it's a life or death situation, can somehow be preserved. Again, the question is whether this is reincarnation, whether it's you know one person's uh, life that's somehow being transmitted and, and that person uh, lives again, or could it be that the uh, situations that, that were so violent and so um, sudden um, overtook people with such force that somehow there's an imprint in a way uh, of those circumstances and that a young child somewhere else, you know, born years later, can somehow have access to them. Uh, that seems to connect with... Um, stories about ghosts, apparitions, uh, being kind of emotional impressions uh, where, you know, you hear of these situations, a haunted house or someplace um, where uh, there is uh, a repeat of, of, you know, some some event that allegedly took place that was typically violent. Um, and of course, violence involves, um, you know, huge emotions that uh, uh, that overtake people. Um, it seems that these may have a life of their own, and that's something that I'm interested in as well. And tell me about the relationship with the famous poltergeist investigator, the late William Roll. Yeah, Bill Roll uh, is probably the foremost, was unfortunately the, the, the foremost uh, poltergeist, poltergeist, poltergeist investigator, try saying that three times, uh, uh, of the, the last uh, 50, 60 years. Um, he unfortunately died, I guess, about 10 years ago. But I reached out to him when I was just getting started um, uh, learning about this stuff. And uh, I had this inkling that emotion and, and our feeling nature um, is, is key um, in these cases, especially poltergeists. When you think about stories of poltergeists, um, what the poltergeists do is very much like feelings. Uh, stuff gets thrown around rooms. Um, there's uh, sometimes really strange uh, occurrences like uh, sprays of water, objects moving around, disappearing, reappearing, um, all very spontaneous. And that's much like our feelings. You know, our feelings rise and fall. Uh, you mentioned deja vu earlier. Something happens. We're left really puzzling about it, but it happens very quickly and then it goes away. That seems to be uh, the way poltergeists operate. So I had this sense that maybe it was connected with, with feelings um, and, and people's ability to sense uh, and sometimes you know, very, very intense sensations uh, and the emotional connections there. And um, I reached out to, to Bill and he was very gracious and said, well, why don't we talk some more about this? We eventually met up. He invited me on an investigation that he was doing. Um, and we started corresponding, and he helped me with a survey 
that I did, uh, this is going back about 20 years now, I suppose, uh, a survey of anomalous experiences and connecting it to people's sensitivity. And Bill pointed out that uh, mediums, um, especially in the 20th century, the early 20th century, they, they weren't known as mediums as much as they were known as sensitives. And so he, he, I learned about, about mediums being highly sensitive people. And what I was able to, to chart with the survey, eventually I think about 150 people responded to the survey and I published the results, uh, is that there's a connection between people's innate sensitivity, especially to feelings, uh, their emotional sensitivity as well as physical sensitivities, um, and their uh, likelihood to, to report uh, anomalous experiences. I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, you have devoted a couple chapters in Sensitive Soul to animals. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, I never expected that I would uh, be as interested in uh, how animals perceive and, and their uh, capacity for motion as I've become. But um, at a certain point, it, I guess, it dawned on me as I was hearing about some of the experiences that people had with their animals that are sort of anomalous. Um, you know, ghost cats and ghost dogs, for example. Uh, and, I should say, stories, uh, accounts, because uh, these aren't stories, they're, they're well documented, but accounts of, of animals that find their way home over thousands of miles. You, you know, you hear about a, a, a family dog that... Um, sort of wandered away from where the family was camping and found their way back. Later, yeah. They find their way back. Well, how do they do that? Um, perhaps there's some sort of emotional connection with that family. Uh, we, we really don't know. There's been several books, I think, in the last couple of years written about this. Uh, it's, it's an amazing curiosity. Um, uh, people don't seem to have this ability uh, as much as animals do um, and, and our family pets. Um, so uh, animals have just in- incredible abilities. Um, the way I put it, uh, George, is that they, they live life closer to the bone. Uh, they, they rely much more on their sensory impressions and probably their feelings. So they can't really tell us this so much, but we can kind of intuit it. Um, they, you know, they, they don't intellectualize like we do. They don't ruminate, but they do dream. You know, we can see dogs dreaming at night and so forth. So they, they clearly have a a, a real feeling uh, capacity, and that's what makes them uh, our pets. That's what, you know, draws us to them and vice versa, is the feelings we have between us of affection and love and caring. Do you think they have something mystical going on? I think we all do. (laughs) I think we all do, and that's part of the reason that I have um, really been drawn to to stories about remarkable animals. because uh, we all have uh, this capacity for mystical and spiritual experience. Um, there are uh, some really impressive stories of, um, of chimps, just to, to give you one example, um, where I, I don't know if it was Jane Goodall exactly, but people like Jane Goodall who, who studied chimps in the wild um, found, for example, uh, chimpanzees who at the end of the day, as the sun was setting, they would stare sort of enraptured at the sunset or at a waterfall that seemed to just mesmerize them. So um, my, my take on this is that, um, you know, any creature that feels, and especially any creature that can um, uh, emote and, and sort of show us um, a little bit what it's feeling, um, 
that's the basis of spirituality, that um, when there's stuff that literally moves us, you know, we talked about emotion, the, the movement sense of our feelings, that when we're moved by something, uh, that's the basis for spirituality. And I, I believe all mammals have it. Uh, maybe other kinds of creatures do as well. Um, as human beings, we're really barking up the wrong tree if we limit spirituality to ourselves. It's just our, our ability to talk about it that separates us, but I think all creatures um, that have a feeling for themselves in the world and, and can uh, relate to other creatures and feel for them, that sort of empathy is, uh, is, is key to our spiritual nature. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.